Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 27 of Genesis chapter 3. And we're reading verses 20 and 21. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. In our last study, we were asking the question, well, why did Adam call his wife's name Eve Um and the reason is said because she was the mother of all living, but but at this time in history, she had not yet given birth. She was not yet a mother. And that led us to look for the spiritual meaning. And, and so we went to Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to turn there again. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. It says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? And that's a very important statement, especially with what comes next in Galatians 4. It goes on to say in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. So, um, verse 21's reference to the law is referring back to the book of Genesis, which is known as part of the law of Moses, as God used Moses to write the first five books, also known as the Pentateuch, and uh, it, each book is a book of the law. And so, God is asking the question, Again, in verse 21, do ye not hear the law? And we would expect that uh, he, he would lay down some stipulation or commandment. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. That's our understanding of the law. But uh, no, he instead is pointing to historical um, events that took place in the book of Genesis, not laws that we find in the Ten Commandments, but just regular historical events. And, and he's saying, this is the law, do ye not hear the law? Now, last time I made reference to a verse in 1 Corinthians, and I want to go there again because it was right at the end of our study. And I felt a little rushed to sort of comment on it because I knew we were coming to the end of our time. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, uh, beginning in verse 7, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? There it is again. 
saith the law. And, and now here comes the reference to the law. In the next verse, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9, For it is written, In the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? So the law is first mentioned. And you can find this particular law stated in Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. And I'll read it. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. And then follows verse 5 and and the law continues. No um, statement of interpretation, um, no indication of any kind that God means anything except what he just said. Do not muzzle the ox when he treads out the corn. That's the law. That's the law of God that the Jews or, or man is to follow. When you're farming and you have an ox, do not muzzle his uh, face when he treads out the corn. And yet, it's stated but not explained. And the task of the child of God is to understand the law. Why did God say that? What's the reason for it? And if we only had Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, we might think God is a God who is so loving of his creation and cares for all of his creatures that he has a concern for oxen. And so we, we can gather from that that we are to treat our animals well. And, and you know, a lot of people would, would like that kind of preaching. They, they uh, are very concerned about their animals. They're not so concerned about their fellow man, but they're very concerned that animals be treated um, especially well. And and yet, even though we can glean uh, that particular understanding, and it's true that uh, God's people uh, and God himself would not have his people to abuse animals of any kind in any way. Although God has given animals to man for man to have dominion over them and animals are there to serve man. And and so uh, there's nothing wrong with eating certain animals or, or any kind of animal as long as you can or uh, in in using animals for various purposes like an ox to tread out the corn. If you you can get it to function in that way. There's nothing wrong with that. Yet, the primary purpose of the Bible is not for God to instruct us on how we can best live in this world using earthly things or operating in this world. That, that can be a secondary understanding. Uh, a moral principle is fine. God uh, would allow us to to again glean those type of things, but the reason for the Bible is the gospel. It's spiritual in nature. the The primary purpose, 
the supreme purpose of all the Bible and therefore all scripture, which means for a verse even seemingly as, as far removed from the gospel as Deuteronomy 25, 4 is, is the gospel. It is the, the deeper spiritual things. And so the question is asked by the apostle Paul under writing under inspiration of God, doth God take care for oxen? Does, is God really primarily concerned with oxen? And the answer is no. Look at verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. And if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things and so forth? The, the spiritual meaning, as far as our purposes are concerned, is not important in this case, only that there was a law stated and there is a deeper spiritual meaning, whether it be in Genesis and and volumes of Scripture, chapters that unfold concerning Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their children, and, and these are an allegory that are um, explaining the, the two covenants, or whether it be a single verse with, again, uh, an obscure type of law that, as God gives other verses that were, were not to mingle seed or and things of that nature that that had application on um, a, a natural level the Jews were to obey these laws but of course the importance the the reason that God gave the law was spiritual and that's what he says in Romans chapter 7 in verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual. Romans 7 verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. And, and, and therefore the law in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all the Bible, all the Bible is spiritual. And, and that's why we compare spiritual with spiritual and it applies to all the Bible because the Bible uh, in total is the law book of God, and all the law is spiritual. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all scripture is the law, all scripture is spiritual, and it is as spiritual as Christ speaking a parable. When, when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, a sower went to sow. That is spiritual, and we recognize that. The reader, when we hear that, we know that we had better look for another kind of understanding. Can you imagine if uh, someone were to read the parables of Jesus, and they they just took them naturally? 
they they took the parable of the sower and and that's all they looked at or they they looked at uh the various parables of of the 10 virgins and they took it naturally and they're they're wondering and trying to figure out now who are these 10 virgins and why are they sleeping and and when they wake up and and who naturally physically in the world identifies with 10 virgins where are these actual 10 well, that, that's ridiculous, isn't it? It would be nothing but a complete waste of time to, to spend trying to figure out the, the natural implication of the sheep and the goats. Well, yeah, if you have a herd, you have to separate your sheep from your goats or, or to, to locate these five foolish and five wise virgins or to, Look for a woman who lost one of ten coins. No, no. It, it, you, we know, the reader knows, even the natural-minded reader, that's the unsaved individual, is aware and fully understanding that when Christ spoke a parable, that we don't look to the woman as an actual woman, we don't look to the coins as actual coins or the man with a hundred sheep. We're, we're not understanding the hundred sheep to represent actual sheep. We know that these things are parabolic. They represent something else. But the problem comes with the natural-minded man or woman, the natural-minded person, when we go to the rest of the Bible, and they approach the rest of the Bible in a natural-minded way, and they read of Hagar, and they read about Sarah, or they read about an oxen treading out corn, or they read about leaven, and and they think leaven, and they think oxen, and they think um, actual women and actual children, and and they wonder about the the historical setting and and they think very very naturally and yet the law is spiritual the law is spiritual and do ye not hear the law is it the very same statement that Jesus made in Matthew 13 or very similar after speaking a parable concerning the parable of the sower he said, and uh, just to finish out that parable in verse 8, But other fell into good ground, and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And there is the statement that is identifying this as a parable, and you must, you must tune your ears in, you know, like on a, a radio dial, you, you have to have the right frequency. You have to tune in the station so you can hear clearly what's going to come across. All right, I've been warned. I know it's a parable, and and therefore I have to adjust my hearing, adjust my ears to look for parabolic meanings and things that represent other things and 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 the sower later is explained to be the son of man the seed is later said to be the word and and it falls on stony ground or 
or it's choked by cares and and this has to do with the word of God as it falls on the hearts of men. So our ears made an adjustment. We we then read and look for the relationships with sower Christ, seed word. But the problem is that that adjustment, which should be um, the adjustment we each reader of the Bible has at all times when reading the Bible, where wherever we're reading, within the Bible, whether Genesis through Revelation and anywhere in between, we should be making that adjustment. Do you not hear the law? The law is spiritual. And these things are an allegory concerning Sarah and Agar and and their sons uh, Isaac and Ishmael and and so forth and and then we've tuned into the proper frequency of the Bible because the Bible again is spiritual it says in Romans chapter 10 in Romans 10 verse 4 for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, this is understood on one level that that we cannot get right with God by keeping the law. That that the law of God directs us ultimately to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're saved by grace, according to the grace of God granted to us. But also the law, the law is the Bible. And the end of the law is Christ. And when we're searching the scriptures, when we're studying the Bible, when we're looking for truth, if we stop short of Christ, if we stop short of truth as he is the essence of truth, if we haven't found that deeper spiritual meaning, then we've, we've only read the law, but we've not heard the law. The hearing of the law is when we find the underlying gospel intent of God, the deeper spiritual meaning of what he has said and declared. And and then when we've done that correctly, we can say that we have heard the law. Now, the problem is that that hearing spiritually requires salvation. And this is why Christ um, opened up the ears of, of an individual so that he could hear. And, and that's a really a picture, as all the physical healings of Jesus are many parables. It's a picture of salvation. When God saves us, he opens up our ears and and once our ears are open, then when we come to the Bible, we start hearing. We, we hear the voice of Christ. According to John 10, my sheep hear my voice. But you see, the, the unsaved of Israel of old or the unsaved in the churches today, they profess the name of Christ. They say they're a Christian, they say they have faith, but they lack hearing. 
and they demonstrate they lack hearing when they insist you must understand the Bible literally. You must understand the Bible according to this hermeneutic, the historical grammatical method of interpretation, and you cannot look for any other meaning. That is, you can't tell me that you're hearing additional information in the scripture, the underlying things. You see, that's foolishness to them. Why is it foolishness? Because they themselves can't hear it. When a child of God has been given understanding and granted uh, by God's grace ears to hear so that we come to the Bible and and we see uh, not only the allegory in uh, concerning Abraham and his wives and, and their sons, but we see, as we've been looking, the allegory in creation, the allegory concerning Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if you've been following along, you've you've noticed that we're continually pointing out that the Bible says Adam was a figure of him that was to come. We're we're pointing out that Eve came out of Adam's side, and that relates to Christ's side being pierced on the cross. We've pointed out that the Garden of Eden is a representation of the kingdom of God on earth, like Israel would later be, and the New Testament church would later be, and, and so forth. As we're going along, we we have not waited, in other words, for the Bible to... Uh, define all these things for us, but instead we have looked to the example of Christ speaking in parables, and without a parable he did not speak, and we have concluded correctly that Jesus spoke in parables in order to teach his disciples, the elect of God, on how to understand the whole Bible. Because he is the Word made flesh. And, and so as the Word made flesh, he was instructing all on how to properly and rightly understand the Word or the law of God. You must always look for the deeper spiritual meaning. And, and so we've taken that instruction. We've taken the instruction of Galatians. Here in this passage in chapter 4, where God takes care. He takes care in laying this out. And very carefully, he is showing us, this is how you must study the Bible. This is how you come to interpret the Bible. Look, I will show you. Do you not hear the law? You see that... That means you have to look at the law of God as a historical parable. And, all right, here we we have the historical parable given, like Christ would speak a parable. And now God in Galatians 4 is going to break it down. And he's going to define it for us and tell us what things mean, just exactly like Jesus would tell us, that the field is the world. 
and 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 so forth and and the reapers are the angels and 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 Christ would make the connections the tie-ins the spiritual identifications with one thing and another thing that's the the way that God is doing here in Galatians 4 verse 22 for it is written that Abraham had two sons the one by a bondmaid the other by a free woman but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh but he of the free woman was by promise which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants the one from the mount sinai which gendereth the bondage which is agar so god is again making that identification two children born of two different mothers the one agar the egyptian identifies with mount sinai and why is mount sinai significant because the law was given at sinai and and that genders the bondage because if you're under the law you're under bondage you, there is no salvation or deliverance if you're under the law and then in verse 25 for this agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth or corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So there's no deliverance with Agar or with her son Ishmael. But it goes on to say in verse 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Jerusalem above is free. She is the free woman. And as it said in verse 22, it it mentioned the the one son by a free woman. Verse 23, uh, he of the free woman was by promise. And that's Isaac was born of Sarah, a free woman. She wasn't a bondmaid. She gave birth to the son of promise, because God had told Abram, and I will give you a son, and he will be your heir, and and yet God waited until Abraham was a hundred years old, and Sarah was ninety, well past childbearing age, and and yet the son was born miraculously according to the promise of God born of the free woman, Sarah. So the Lord is connecting Sarah and her being a free woman to the birth of the child of promise with Jerusalem, which is above. Now, Jerusalem above would be heavenly Jerusalem that we see come down in Revelation in Revelation 21 and some other places, and it's said to be the bride of Christ. Remember, in Revelation 21, verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. New Jerusalem, Jerusalem above, which is spoken of here in Galatians, is the bride of Christ. 
Adam is a figure of Christ and Adam's bride is Eve. You see the connection? Adam's bride is Eve and Eve's a, a picture of Jerusalem above. And notice it says Jerusalem which above is free, which is the mother of us all. Well, what did Adam say when he called his wife's name Eve? She is the mother of all living. Now in Galatians 4.26, when it speaks of Jerusalem as the mother of us all, well, who are they all? Who are they all? Is it all mankind, every human being? No. No, it, it's uh, very definite that God has made distinction between his people, Christ came to save his people from their sins, and the rest of the world, the rest of the people of the earth. Us all are the elect, everyone whose name was written and recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, is the mother of us all, Eve, is the mother of all living. Very similar statements. Well, we'll try to finish this up when we get together in our next Bible study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.